0: Okay, so welcome to our second in the series of uh, Dr. Martin talks to me. Um, so thanks, thanks for uh, thanks for talking to me again, despite your ailments.
1: It's my pleasure, and uh, um, well, sir, hopefully my ailments won't fuddle my brain too much.
0: But at least we can both still drink a cup of tea. There
1: you go, as men in their forties want to. Uh,
0: how how is it? Is it is it okay? Is it going to recover?
1: Uh, There there is a potential for 100% recovery. So I've got a three-week post-operative ultrasound scan with Professor Funk, Uh who will let me know how his bone anchors are progressing.
0: Okay, cool. Okay, well, I I wish you all the very best. Uh, But in the meantime, we shall pick your brain for knowledge. Is that okay?
1: That's wonderful, yeah.
0: So uh, let's go straight into the first question. Um, Is fast twitch and slow twitch muscle something that uh, can be changed with training, or does it simply mean your body is adaptable to certain types of training?
1: What do you done? That one. Right. Uh, your well, it all depends basically on what people understand as muscle fi- fibre type. So essentially, there are two types of muscle fibre: hmm. fast twitch and slow twitch. Except there aren't. Uh, there are two types of fast twitch, right? That we know of so far. Okay the general status at the moment is that the slow twitch muscle fibers will not become fast
2: right
1: therefore the, your slow twitch are your slow twitch uh-huh. you have two different types of fast twitch fibers but one faster than the other
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you can make the the slower fast twitch faster okay so you can adapt with training your fiber type composition as such you're not going to grow diff- different types of fibers and you're not going to switch one from another but you can migrate the characteristics of your fast twitch fibers to become slightly faster
0: and and the and the the, the fast twitch the slower of the fast twitch fibers can they also become slower if you don't train them
1: uh they can be yeah you can revert back yeah and so, so
0: and so what, like because i remember having a conversation with uh with your good colleague uh Dr. Payne, and he was he was talking about how um, a lot of fast twitch fiber can't really be trained. It's much more setting down neurological pathways. So, like like a sprinter when they're practicing leaving the blocks, they will they will kind of maybe in a two hour session they'll only kind of leave the blocks four times with their coach studying studying them. But actually, what they're doing for thirty minutes before then is kind of going mentally through the process of how they're going to individually twitch certain elements of the kind of cascading start. And and then when they actually do it, they watch to see how well that is timed. So it was much more an, a laying down of the neurological pathways in order to twitch the muscle
1: correctly. Is that correct? Or is Matthew telling me rubbish? No, no, no. Uh, Matthew, as usual, speaks the truth. <laughs> <laughs> However, as, as all scientists and uh, sports practitioners get in a muddle,
2: yeah.
1: there, is, there is the hardcore cellular science
2: mm.
1: and there is the whole body in the dojo training mm. and there are multiple steps in between. Okay. So what I said about muscle fibre type characteristics, that that holds very strongly true. Yeah. However, if you can't activate or fire those muscle fibres, then they won't perform as they, as they characteristically can do. Right. So there is a, the fibre type that you have. There's the number of fibres you have. There, is, there are the number of mitochondria within those fibres. There are the enzymatic pathways within those fibres. There's the neurological innovation of those motor units. There's the recruitment of the motor units. Can there's the coordination I, of the recruitment of the motor units.
0: Can I just say, people who are watching this just saying, just tell me how to punch hard.
1: That's all I want to know. And, and that, that's almost what we should be doing. Yeah. In that, the the, the 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 science really is so complex that it takes a lifelong of study
2: yeah.
1: to understand it. Yeah. The same way that body movement is so complex, it takes a lifelong study to understand it. So most people in the dojo wearing a gi shouldn't concern themselves with the muscle fiber type or their innovation of the motor units mm. and the muscles in order to create movement, they should just do it and see how it feels. Yeah, And therefore that conversation should be between instructor and student mm. to discuss how it feels.
0: Yeah,
1: And the instructor then builds up their knowledge of what the feeling of the student and what he's seeing, or they are seeing the student doing. Mm. And then, then asking the questions of the scientist. Okay. How, how does this work? Nope. What's going on there?
0: Cool. And so, um, just to just to kind of go back on, on that then. So so can you can you so one of the things that Matthew was talking about was that he was saying that it's quite difficult to train fast twitch muscle, but and and so there's no point trying to take it to uh, trying to kind of um, train it. He says it's quite like it's much more about neurological. But can you so what you're saying is it, you can train twitch muscle to become more twitch like, but only one of the two muscle groups is that right one of the slow twitch of the fast
1: twitch. The, the, the slow twitch is eminently more trainable than the fast twitch okay so the it, slow twitch we can increase mitochondrial enzymes yeah. we can do mitochondrial biogenesis and we can actually increase their capacity quite a lot okay. the fast twitch the nature of fast twitch is it, it uses it twitches
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> once
1: it's twitched, it takes time before it can twitch again okay. so the trainability of fast twitch mm. is more difficult so you can do it but you'd spend an awful long time getting very small results. Okay. Whereas if you learn how to coordinate
2: yeah.
1: all those twitches together yeah. at that one time, you're going to get a much bigger impact. Cool. So he's right, very much right in to say that the, the pure power, the pure speed, the pure athletes will spend an awful long time thinking about training, mm. but they won't actually perform very regularly.
0: Okay. Yeah, I remember. I remember um, a actually a story from Aidan Trimble, um, mm-hmm. yeah. and and he he was doing some like Aidan always has these great stories, and they always involve kind of him being something somewhere really fabulous with with amazing people, you know. And he was saying, oh, and he just offhand he said, "Oh yeah, I did this thing once with Linford Christie." And I was like, "What, really?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, it was like." And, and someone asked him, "Oh, could you just uh, could you just kind of uh, you know show us how you leave the blocks and just do a quick sprint?" And Linford yeah. Christie was like, um, yeah, that'll take me an hour of preparation just to get to the point where I can show you one. And they were like, really? And and, and I remember Aidan saying to me, he was like, "Like he was used to going, right, come on, let's fight now kind of thing. But like Linford yeah. Christie is such a you know refined and specific athlete that yes. it took him that amount of time to kind of get to that point.
1: I, I, I can fully appreciate that story. Yeah. Uh, and I would add that when I was with Lymphid Christie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's already me that doesn't know anybody famous.
1: <laughs> he, he spent most of the time because we were doing timing lights and force platforms. Yeah. So we were using his sprinters. He'd retired. Right. Uh, and it took him a little while of warming up and then he ended up stripping off and jumping in the blocks and actually doing the sprints himself.
2: Okay. And he was
1: by far the fastest. Really? Uh, response out the blocks and the fastest over the short distance, yeah. and despite him being retired about four or five years at that point, yeah. he was stacked and ripped. So he just he just still trained. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, I was I was I went shopping yesterday in the local uh, shopping mall, and Warren.
2: Gatland
0: No, Warren Gatland was there signing books. Okay. I
1: yeah, yeah,
0: I recognised. I don't, but I I I, I thought I better Google him to see who he was, but I haven't yet. Who is he? Is he a sportsman? I can't help you
1: that I'll, I'll leave you to, to those delights when you read. Really...
0: My my Google Home has just uh, has just come up and said, "I can't help you with that." <laughs> moving on, moving on. Let's let's uh... moving on swiftly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, does lifting heavy weights really slow you down? I guess with the the sense of being bulky, right? I mean, like if yeah, you're a muscle bell. If, if...
1: That's bound
0: to slow you down, surely.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can say, uh, at a as a cellular level, or you can look at that as a whole body level. If you're spending your time lifting I'm guessing, big heavy weights, I'm, I'm guessing that this then you're was, not. You're not.
0: I was going to say. I guess in this this question was from not a cellular level, just from a kind of right, bigger right. picture level. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't have sci- bigger we, we don't have scientists uh, writing in at the moment. Maybe on our next edition.
1: Maybe next time, though. No? Yeah, yeah. Maybe Doctor Pegels right <laughs> now. Uh, if if you trade lifting heavy slowly, hmm. then you will move slowly when you're not when you're in the dojo training. Yeah. So if you only train lifting heavyweight slowly, then yes, you will, you will slow yourself down. Hmm. However, if you, I don't know people who that only do that. Okay. So. Uh, if you go to the gym in Loughborough University where we are then there's huge numbers of people doing various different things but they're all in the gym, the sprinters are in the gym uh, the m a a fighters are in the gym the badminton players are in the gym lifting and all the people that are doing fast movements they'll all train and use resistance exercise mm. now, being in the gym lifting weights won't slow your karate down uh, however if you only lift heavy weights slowly then yes you will
0: it was interesting like um for when i was in japan we used to do you know texugeta you know the steel shoes so yeah. like like probably like three or four three kilos maybe three or four kilos and you do slow kicks with them yeah. and uh, and when i left japan i continued that training just with with ankle weights same same sort mm-hmm. of weight and even to this yeah. day i will i'll do the same kind of uh, regime where we're doing my moshigiri, morsh giddy, giddy in in a slow count of three so first count knee up second count slowly out to full extension and back holding that form the third count down um and then a number of years ago i i was talking to steve Ubel sensei and and he also does kind of kicks with uh ankle weights and he was yeah. like yeah i just do them speed and power and i was like really you you kind of kick with uh like three or four kilos and he was like no i kick with the uh, five kilos speed and power and i was like but surely, no, that's, you know, that's dangerous for your ligaments. And he's like, no, no, you, of course you have to build up, but your lig- ligament structure will get stronger and you'll cope with it. And like, why would you kick slowly? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, okay, fair enough. So, so now we have a mixture of both. We do, we do both um, slow kicks on occasions with the weights and then we built up and now we can kick. Uh, and it's surprisingly how quickly you can build up to kick speed and power with, you know, five kilos
1: yeah I mean and the important thing that Steve hit the nail on the head there with as usual uh, is the progressive overload yeah. in, the, in in order to uh, to adapt and progress your training, you must overload. Yeah. but if you overload too much too quickly, the tissue structure will just not support it. Yeah. Yeah. so on that basis you you have to go slow to start with yeah. but if you never speed up, you will never overload the neuromuscular function that is making you move more quickly. So, you you have to do both. Yeah,
0: for sure. And also, like, you know, if you think about like like, my, my ligament strength and maybe someone like Ross's ligament strength in the dojo is probably the same. But he's, his leg's five kilo heavier than mine because it's chunky and fat, you know? So, well, not fat, but it's chunky, shall I say. And, like, you know, I mean, like, there's loads of people out there who, who are much heavier than me, kind of bouncing about. Oh. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not that much more strain right they they I mean obviously they didn't get big overnight but
1: you know yeah but it's the the thing is it's all relative in that they they carry those weights around all day every day yeah sure yeah so that ligament structure and their normal training Uh is they're carrying those loads so if they put a two kilogram load on yeah that's an additional two kilogram load sure yeah now the the difference with you is that you've spent 20 years doing that
2: yeah
1: therefore you are very very well conditioned Mm. Whereas Ross may have been doing it seriously for five years yeah. or six years or seven years yeah. so that there'll be a, your level of experience by definition will put you at the very top of the tree mm. that requires your body's adaptations because you've had the length of time. Yeah. And it's with biology, time is all conquering which is one of your questions
0: later on about aging. <laughs> one, of, one of the many fans who sent all these questions in. Yeah. Hey, t- time is not all conquering. Time is all destroying. I assure you. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, uh, have we, we seen bi- uh, biomechanical evolution in karate uh, from less biomechanically um, sound, effective, uh, to more so? One uh, karate author in his book, Shuhari plug for my latest but last book yeah. <laughs> um, uh, pointed to the Yoko Kiyaki as a technique that evolved so t- can we see that the karate of uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago has biomechanically uh, changed I mean I, I I'd, I'd...
1: okay well I'll, there's, 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 yeah. Yeah. I'll pick you up on your nomenclature there so, uh, <laughs> yeah. changed and evolved are two different things uh, yeah. For sure. uh, yes, I can guarantee it's changed because looking at the pictures, looking at the videos, looking at the people, you can see changes. Uh, evolved suggests survival and improvement yeah. and etc. Which yeah. most of the changes I've seen have been in style.
2: Yeah.
1: And most of the rationale I've been given for this is how it's done mm. uh, is non biomechanical, non physiological, non biological. Uh, is this is the correct way mm. uh, and the people I've heard try to give rationales for why the changes have been made
2: mm.
1: uh, are, are non-scientific, non-biomechanical It's mm. like because this is how my teacher taught me yeah. or this is how it's best done yeah. so I'd say there's been lots of changes through the years mm. uh, how many of them have been led through insight into the actual mechanic of the movement mm. Mm, I'm not so sure
0: yeah, I mean, one of the recent things that I've been uh, being challenged on is is just like when I when I'm punching, like my my shoulder is often coming uh, forward uh, as a direct result of training for many years with uh, with uh, one of my instructors, and and like and as a result, kind of dis- disengaging my lat and therefore kind of not making that kind of uh, solid connection between my punching arm and my body, um, yeah. and so you know that unquestionably i i did that for many years because um it was justified to me and and i i had i had previously justified it uh, to others when i was teaching um now there's there was a rationale behind it but i you know i i understand what that rationale was and it worked but if it, biomechanically it's not great for creating power and arguably could damage your shoulder joints if done long enough for, you know, etc. So so I can see absolute change has has taken place, some for the better, some for the worse. But I think, generally speaking, people have tried to find a way of performing, executing techniques in a more efficient way, right? And looking back at, generally, I mean, like, through trial and error, whether it be my technically or not, or, like, scientifically or not, through trial and error, they've tried to produce better results. And looking back at karate in those old black and white videos, and now, there is... It seems that we are far more dynamic, explosive, than men, Would you say?
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if 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 we if the evidence we look at is those those sort of the old eight mil nine mil whatever it was the black and wh- black and white films, mm. there is definitely a more dynamic, explosive, movement orientated. Uh, whether or not that adds to the actual function of the punch. I mean, one, the person the that's hit me probably the hardest in my entire life was a small uh, Chinese guy mm. who works out uh, in New York called William C.C. C. Chen, mm. who weighs about 45, 50 kilograms mm. and hit me without me really noticing him move that much. Uh, and I thought my spleen had exploded.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so we've, we've definitely got more dynamic, mm. whether or not it's functional. I, I see a lot of a lot of people that, that dance around, mm. that that look very explosive and athletic, but the end product isn't there.
2: Yeah,
1: and I think that that links into some of the other questions we've talked about previously about uh, impact and hitting things. You mm. know, the, the true test of whether or not your punch is working is when you punch somebody. <laughs> now, if we punch somebody regularly, we we don't train very much, <laughs> uh, so we end up with apparatus to help us and work out if it's if it's functional is it hitting is it hitting harder Hmm. so i think the testing of that philosophy is is the most important bit
0: and i suppose as as the, the one of the main criteria i mean criteria for the the increased dynamic explosive movement is competition and competition is the last time last place you ever want to hit anyone hard
1: yeah so yeah yeah, I mean if you I mean for instance we have karate in the 2020 Olympics coming up
0: I'm and going, we will I'm, see some I'm going to see them. I've
1: got which tickets. will be watching? <laughs>
0: I've got two tickets. <laughs>
1: uh, you will see some very very good athletes. Yeah. You will see some very fine examples of body speed movement, coordination, technique, etc. Mm. Uh if you transported those people to the nineteen eighties Liverpool clubs and asked if they want to push their way past Terry O'Neill in a club, mm. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure I know where to put my money on. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's 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 for different purposes. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're they're very the, the sport competition people are lympho Christies. Yeah. They are biomechanically tuned for speed. Mm. They're not biomechanically tuned for power. Yeah. So they're very good at what they do. Mm-hmm. But is that what you want to do or somebody else wants to do? Mm-hmm. So the, the karate is a big umbrella and covers lots of different people with lots of different goals. Yeah. And one of the tasks we have is trying to differentiate and help them through the process.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? Like like for every person you talk to, there's a different criteria of why they're doing karate. And, yeah. And so, like, for example, Rick Horton Sensei has recently taken to saying, you know, the best self-defense um, is self-preservation. And so doing karate, that is is very healthy for you and very kind of um, balancing both physically, mentally, dare I say, spiritually. And so that's the ultimate self-defense where you don't destroy your body and can still practice into a very ripe old age. And I think that's a really great point. Um, whereas someone else will go, no, the ultimate self-defense is being able to, defend yourself against a knife attack, or a gun attack, or a three-on-one attack, and someone else will say, no, karate's ultimate purpose is to win a gold medal at the only Olympics that he'll ever be in, at Tokyo. You know, like, it's a whole host of different things, isn't it, that everyone brings to karate, or the rationale of why people do karate, and therefore the, the purposing of what, of what is the most important thing is is all different and unique. So, I think, yeah. And
1: that, that, that is very much a journey, and that changes. Yeah, Sure, yeah. So, when I, when I started karate, you know, age 12, there was no thought of spirituality involved. Mm. There was no thought of healthy aging involved. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: It was like, let's go with these guys and have a fight. Yeah, absolutely,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, You know, that's not where I am now, yeah. and it won't be where I am in 20, 30 years. Yeah. So, we also go through a journey where our goals change.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think being open-minded, in fact, I've just... Just written. Well, I wrote an article. It's just been published in the, in the latest S.K.M. Uh, with John Cheatham. And, and one of Funakoshi Sensei's uh, uh, Nijukun, one of his uh, 2020 precepts, was let your mo- mind roam freely. And I think it's uh, it's it's really important. One of the greatest gifts of karate is to make your mind flexible. You know, not your body, but your, but your mind. And so and to be completely open to new ideas all the time. Whenever they present themselves, and so yeah then only then that does your karate become truly dynamic in a sense forever changing forever kind of different you know
1: yeah and it's it's uh it's a phrase that uh, my instructor sent uh, Rick Jackson uses quite a lot in that he says uh drink my tea it's like you you have you you have your tea yeah. <laughs> and you know the taste of your tea well, this is the taste of my tea, so drink my tea and taste it yeah. Uh, open your mind to
2: the
0: experience as it were well. yeah oh sensei rick sensei rick okay should we move on indeed okay uh da, 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 da. so uh this question is about muscle slack or muscle pre-movement uh, or pre-movement muscle tension or activation specifically of the thigh abductor muscle, uh, Scott, you've made a video mentioning the use of abductors to stabilize um, on landing into stance. Do we maintain this in a thigh muscle uh, thigh tension all the way through the brief uh, through the brief pause between techniques, uh, as in kata, or is it a momentary firing at the end of the technique? I find both if both quite strange and unnatural, but that is likely because of my inexperience and lack of understanding. Hello?
1: <laughs> well, you need the, the muscles throughout the entire joint and structure to stabilize the joint. Yeah. So, if you're actively moving the joint, as in you're in the middle of a kicking technique, or that joint is being extended as you drop down your stance, then those muscles need to be there. Mm. And they need to be in tension in order to stabilize that joint. Uh, once you're in a static position, those muscles don't need to be there. They don't need to be tight in order to maintain the position. Hmm. Uh, so I would say to be as relaxed as possible at all times, unless you need not to be.
2: Yeah.
1: And the needing not to be is in the performance of the technique or the transition through. Hmm. Uh yeah, so it's it's uh, to to coin a John Keeling. It depends.
0: <laughs> I know. I, I've been I've been talking recently about uh, really being lazy in your karate, and and I like like I do it half jokingly just to get the reaction of people going, you know. I I, I, I kind of set it up and say, you know, the once upon a time it used to be harder, faster, stronger. Well, I I want you to be slower and use less speed and less effort. In fact, be as lazy as you possibly can. And then they all go, oh, well, that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? And I say, like, because if you're lazy, what I mean by that is using the least amount of effort to have the same results. And that's the definition of being efficient in your movement. And mm-hmm. and and people have this sense of, of muscle use as being either full on or relaxed and nowhere in between. And like, you know, having this sense of, of um, you know, if you're if you're standing in Shizentai, then. Shizentai seems really natural. I mean, it literally means natural body, right? Uh, But if you stand there long enough, you'll soon slouch because you are using muscles to maintain that shizen position, that natural position. And I said, all that is, that's karate. Shizentai is karate. If you're stepping forward, you maintain shizentai. If you're stepping back, if you're defending, if you're dodging to the side, you're trying to maintain shizentai at all times. But a bit like a tree, a tree can stand... But if there's a a gale force wind, the more wind there is from one side, you've got to support it from the other to maintain that shizen position. That's all karate is. You're, You're maintaining that form at all times. Sometimes, like when you're standing still in shizentai, that will be really easy. But if you're darting forward for oizuki, it's going to be really difficult. And the more you want to kind of maintain that form or the more you want to put the brakes on, the more you've got to engage muscles to maintain that. But when you don't need it, you switch it off. Whereas people kind of are kind of keeping it engaged too long and that's why we get kind of stiff karate.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree totally. The, the caveat I put on it mm. is that the, you in your vast experience can feel those postural muscles mm. and you've set, spent your time at the front of the dojo watching people slouch into yeah. <laughs> the relaxed position.
2: Yeah.
1: Whereas people going through the journey we uh, probably find that they can't feel as if those muscles are activated or not. They're either tense because they're making a conscious effort to be tight as possible mm. or they're totally relaxed. And the, the fine quality in between those two states, they've, they don't, they've never felt. Yeah. And it's probably one of the roles of the instructors to actually introduce the concept like you've done mm. and then try to w- walk them through so they can get to that level of understanding the nuances of contract and relax, and to be that. I mean, if you relax every muscle, you're a pool of jelly on the floor. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure, yeah.
1: <laughs> which obviously is not where we want. Well, if you test but... every
0: single muscle, you're like most karateka. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're a office. stick in a white suit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so yeah, I mean, it's just, it's about kind of, I think, kind of, l- like I say, actively doing as little as possible whilst maintaining the same results, which is, like, seems... Is the easiest thing to say, but of course is exceptionally difficult. Which takes—that's why it takes decades to, to master, right? Those fine okay. muscle control.
1: Yeah. Indeed. And it's it's something I learned from uh, from my Tai Chi time.
0: Yeah.
1: Is that one of my Tai Chi instructors? Uh, I had a couple of private lessons, and we went through the form. And I stopped him and said, "That is—that's nothing like your form. Hmm. You've, you're completely changing your form." Hmm. And he said, no, no, you, you just seen my teaching form. You haven't seen me do my form. Oh, really? You've seen me teach it. Yeah. So all my movements are exaggerated. All my actions are, you know, very obvious. Uh, whereas I'm doing it. I'm doing exactly the same, but I'm now doing it in a, in a minimized, efficient manner. Yeah. And I've, I've seen it with instructors that stand at the front and, and kick and say, like that.
2: Hmm.
1: Not like this. And everybody's going, but those, those two are identical. <laughs> and from an unt- untrained eye from the observer looking they look identical but yeah. for the perspective of the person doing it it's vastly different because yeah. they they feel they've done two separate things
0: interesting okay moving on
1: <laughs> swiftly uh,
0: okay what's next what is next um, okay uh, this 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 kind of Okay, well, I'll... I'll okay, uh, an indelicate one that I could never ask in the dojo regarding
1: clenching <laughs> the anus. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's ask it on, in, on the internet instead, <laughs>
0: Yeah. The only time I've ever heard it mentioned uh, uh, in Shuttkan was with uh, Lucio Morino in his video, Five Principles of Yokigeri in Gankaku. That's a very specific video, isn't it? Five Principles of Yokigeri in Gankaku. Okay. Uh, Not four principles, five. Five. Okay. Uh, I have seen it referred in a number of Tai Chi books since abdominal wall tension plays a role in karate and since inter abdominal pressure has been mentioned by J.D. Swanson, might clenching the anus stabilize the pelvis or pelvic floor in some way well can i just can i just uh can i just as an aside say well, that, that, <laughs> um, that my one of my original well, my original instructor uh kato sensei uh used to forever uh, in class now bearing in mind this was the 80s when you know this type of thing was okay uh would regularly when we're in kibirachi say come on you must squeeze your arsehole you know, it was a very succinct way of getting probably quite a complex message into yeah. the students. Probably not the most uh, politically sensitive or socially sensitive uh, way to, to describe it, but nonetheless kind of descriptive.
1: <laughs> well, okay, I'll, I'll now ask you a question to go with that, then. Yeah. Because because we are of a certain generation, uh, I, I can put my hand up and say that we did this training myself. Uh-huh. Uh but are you are you not familiar with the fifty pence piece inserted between yeah. <laughs> buttock cheeks yes. in order to maintain a level of tension?
0: Fifty P we only use ten P. You must have been rich in your
1: dojo. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say we passed it round here, yeah, but we're... <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 again it's another very complex issue. There are many, many different pairs of muscles around the hip girdle. Uh, contracting different ones different times is important and that's the nuances of your movement You'll, you uh, if, specifically if you're talking about your anal sphincter I, it's closed at all times in the dojo because <laughs> if you're relaxing it that's a bad thing <laughs> but they're probably what they're talking about is closer to the perineum and the, the muscles around that pelvic floor region, mm-hmm. which will give you the tel- tilt of the pelvis. Yeah. If you're tilting your pelvis, you're changing your uh, axial skeleton. And if you're changing your axial skeleton, then you're changing your entire posture. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody who's done Sanjin mm-hmm. as a kata,
2: mm-hmm.
1: looking told to contract and this, that, and the other, mm-hmm. uh, if anybody who's trained with senses, UBL. Mm-hmm. Uh, will know about the center not lifting the center up but pushing the center forward Mm -hmm. and that's all about the complex contractions of your hip girdle Mm -hmm. Uh, for uh, the female members of the dojos that have gone through childbirth they'll know all about the pelvic floor muscles and they'll know about the exercises they do to regain the strength in those pelvic muscles Uh, anybody who's done any pranayama meditation will know all about their their tension and the relaxation in the different areas So, it's very complex. It is prevalent in a lot of martial arts, and it is taught, but it's not. It's taught in different ways, so as to avoid various uses of the words anus, bottom, or anything else. I was
0: going to say it's, it's always taught in metaphor, isn't it? Which is okay. probably, uh, yeah, not the best way of, of describing <laughs> such a complex issue. One thing that I find though is that is that um, is that like. I think the first time that students come across this is when they're maybe in zenkozuch and their tailbone sticks out a little bit. The pelvis kind of tilts, and so they're told that they must kind of tilt the pelvis forward in order to maintain that kind of horizontal kind of nature of your 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 pelvis and vertical nature of your spine. Uh-huh. And and so that's that's the that's the first kind of introduction. Kind of engage the abdomen, pull it forward a little bit, so the spine's engage, so the pelvis is engaged. But then they think. Then that's all it ever is, and so I yeah. think the to avoid to avoid kind of uh, this anterior tilt is it uh, of the of the pelvis they push it forward, but then yeah. they do that all the time. So even when shizentai, you see people who are really over kind of engaging the the pelvis in that way, which causes the opposite tilt, which is equally as bad as sticking their ass out. So yeah. I, I think it's and again I talk about this a lot where. You know, you maintain that kind of, like, connection of, like, generally speaking, horizontal nature of your hips, vertical nature of your spine, maintaining that even when you've got lots of pressure pushing that pelvis in different directions. When, sometimes, when you're just a you might have no pressure, but you can still keep it engaged at the point of uh, of connection, for example.
1: Yeah, you're completely right. And um, one of the easiest ways I find is to, to talk about that is in César. Because if you're in a kneeling position, you've got rid of your, your lower body mm. and you're just you have your, your your spine and you align it and you put your shoulders back and you see how that changes and you lift your chin up and it that changes mm. and then you have more control over your pelvis and you can see the small movements of your pelvis have massive impacts on your sitting height. Okay. And you can literally see people bobbing up and down as yeah. they change the pelvis yeah. because you've isolated, you've taken their legs away. Yeah and you've allowed them to control their pelvis. Right. Now, the problem is then translating that into standing in shizentai. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> usually what you'll find is people hunch their shoulders over
2: mm.
1: and then they tilt the pelvis forward. And then you've got the gorilla posture, <laughs> which yeah. they can't get out of. Yeah.
0: Yeah. For sure. No, that's a good point. Yeah. It says, I shall remember that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> okay. Let's get past the anus question, shall we? You stay as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay what have we got so uh, let's do this aging one shall we um, mm-hmm. how do you know without expert advice how you can push keep pushing yourself uh, certainly as you age and what should an aging woman do differently to an aging man if anything uh, if anything
1: right well the the again I'll go for keelingism uh, okay. uh, it depends mm-hmm. Uh, starting karate at an older age, there will be differences between what you do with it and, uh, uh, an elderly male and an elderly female starting off. If they've started and, and they've got old during the process of doing karate, then the the actual training itself will have mitigated a lot, some of the changes. Mm. So one of the biggest things with, uh, with females going through the aging process is the menopause, mm. uh, which is basic, it, it can occur as... Well, it can occur as early as in the 30s, mm. but typically it's more later on in the late 40s, early 50s, and moving on. And their circulating hormones will change, which means it'll have an impact on their bone strength, and it'll have an impact on their trainability, so their ability to put on uh, extra strength, or extra muscle, or extra tendon strength, etc. Yeah. So the important thing with aging is to not stop training. Any break in training it is much more difficult to get back up to speed the older you are. Mm. So, for instance, I've, I'm out, I've been out for, for eight weeks now. I've got another eight weeks before, before I get my sling off. I would normally leap back in the dojo and carry on as normal. Mm. From, take, from when I take my sling off and start rehab in the dojo, it, it will take me a full 12 months before I'm back up to 100%. Whereas 20, 25, 30 years ago, it would have taken me three to four months to get back up. I'd be hitting the gym harder. I'd be rehabbing faster. And that's just because the nature of the biology, the older the tissues, the less responsive they become. So. This certainly doesn't mean that the older you come, the less you can do. Mm. It just means that you must maintain that it's more younger people can go off for a couple of weeks break, come back and don't even notice it. However, the elder karateka need a more of a daily routine to maintain and keep going with what they're doing, mm. so their training doesn't get an interruption. For an older karateka, is always going to be much more difficult than it is from a younger one.
0: Yeah. I think also, um, I think uh, like a like because like, the, the question was about do we need expert knowledge, but I think I think actually the. the most the best person to know your own body is yourself right and so listening to your own body and like knowing it and knowing when to ease off knowing when to you know train harder training smarter um, I think a lot of people I I know for me my my biggest issue is like just the addictive nature of training hard and the ego of training hard especially with with people who are younger like is is really distracting and alluring to make you do things that maybe aren't the best for you at the age that I am. Um, so I have to kind of constantly listen to my own body and make sure that I'm not being stupid, you know?
1: Yeah, and it's, it is it is very much an ego thing, It's a, yeah. and it's a personal thing. It, it's how much you listen to your body. Yeah. Obviously, the older you get, you don't want to stop training. You don't want to not do the things, but you just have to do them more progressively. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that that thing that you wanted to do today, now hmm. you may have to build up to do it and do it in two or three days' time. Yeah. I think you can still do it, but it does take that extra preparation, that longer period of getting the body ready for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, right. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's do. Should we do one or two more, and then and then I have been told by you know because we're kind of uh, we we're, we're kind of hijacking. Ross and Ru's uh, Hombu Dojo podcast um, so they, and they we're had, it well yeah <laughs> they, we're giving it a little bit more maturity and a little bit more kind of you know information heavy podcasts rather than, but sure. what they have done though is they've said that we must provide at the end of the podcast a fail of the week um, so I, 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 I a fail I would, of the week So, so a, a time that you have messed up in training but like I presume that, that that can't apply to you for the last eight weeks so maybe you can talk about your fail of the week which has led you to the position I've got I, I I've got a fail of the week as well which wasn't this week it was a couple of weeks ago but like you know we're mature so we don't fail every week right unlike them we Obviously. maybe once a couple of months something like that so so maybe that's what you can you know think about whilst you're answering this question there are a large amount of research showing the benefits of random practice and variable random practice over block practice for motor learning skills. I'm generalising, but there is a huge amount of karate uh, dojo. There are a huge amount of karate dojos using block practice for their training, i.e., repeating the same technique over and over again in isolation. What is your opinion on random versus block t- practice? And do the use of random practice? Uh, do you use uh, random practice in your dojo?
1: right there there are there is lots of research and there's lots of research in the motor control area mm-hmm. about how to enhance motor skills uh the sports arena the the, the golf swing mm-hmm. yeah the, the tennis shot you know there's there's huge amount of coach-led data but there's also huge amounts of lab-based data about how to enhance specific open skills specific close skills etc etc mm-hmm. uh my personal experience where i'm training with Santa jacks at the moment is very much that we will do a set of basic skills kihon uh, that will then get translated into a partner work the kumite aspect uh it, we will usually go back to a more advanced set of kihon mm. and then back into a second set of kumite uh before finishing either on some type of kata or basics mm. at the end of the session so we will go through a, a you could call that random. I don't like using the word random because it's completely not random, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's not that block practice that yeah. where you stand there and just punch for 10,000 punches and go home again.
2: Yeah.
1: There, there are benefits to both sides of the coin mm. and yeah. it all, it very much depends what you're trying to teach. If you're trying to teach a specific motor skill, then you need the repetitions. Mm. However, at the end of the repetitions, that motor skill is not learned. You have to go away from it and you have to come back to it. Hmm. So there is benefit in re- repping out constantly.
2: Yeah.
1: But that benefit only really comes true if that is repeated on a regular basis. Hmm. So you'll, you'll rep it out on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. So every day you train, you're repping out the same same thing. Hmm. But the other part of the session will be something different, which will include that motor skill, yeah. Yeah. basic punching, and then basic uh, cumity. Mm.
2: yeah.
1: And then using that uh, that block practice, but adding in that random practice, as it were, over the course of a week. So you're looking at a mesocycle as opposed to a microcycle.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. So uh, uh, training principles, or what? When are you looking for the improvement? Are you looking to the improvement? in the first 20 minutes of the class because I can get you that by repping it out Mm. but will that then translate to the next week when they come back in again probably not so it really depends it's the application of that research that they're talking about into real world scenario
0: Mm.
1: so there's a place for both Mm. but using only one won't work
0: Yeah. yeah I think you know, I, I slightly disagree with the premise of the of the of the um, question which which is basically there are lots of dojos out there that are just doing block training. And yeah, maybe that was true in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s maybe. Well maybe I'm just in a bubble where that doesn't happen but I, I don't see I don't see any dojo now that is just getting the students to march up and down doing Ido Kihon, you know up and down basic combinations as as any functioning dojo I mean how, how do they function how do they get students how do they manage to, to maintain students by teaching in that kind of block boring kind of uh, um, training I mean for sure there are times when you do lots of basics and for sure there are times when you don't go and apply those principles but um, certainly not my dojo and I know certainly not in your dojo and and certainly not in <laughs> in the like I can't think of any dojo that I visit that that is the case um so yeah i,
1: I don't well, see... i i might flip that on on the head for you then hmm. in that the dojos you visit uh by invitation from enlightened instructors
0: yes that's why i said like maybe uh maybe i'm just in my bubble <laughs> and, but I'm, and I'm, i will yeah, stay I'm... in my bubble i am not going out of my bubble it's a nice bubble it's okay <laughs> <laughs> okay uh let's do one more shall we uh and then okay. we will uh call it a Day. So, um, let me see. Uh, 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 um, so, uh, we established in our last uh, conversation uh, the need to hit things to understand and get good at hitting. I agree. Thank you for agreeing, whoever wrote this. Uh, why Why is it, do you think, that a majority of karate practi- uh, practicing a Kihon Kata Kumite approach, Kihon 3K's approach, uh, why do majority of, of karateka follow that? Do not spend any time or very little time actually hitting uh, impact equipment. Um, also, how much time in the, is a typical session in the dojo? Uh, do you dedicate to impact work? Um, I don't mean your personal training. I mean in your club session. Um, and is it part of
1: the syllabus? Right. Well. Uh... I'm, I'm going to make a guess here, and you're probably much better placed to uh, to answer it. But I'm going to say that the the facilities are required in order to impact stuff. And if you're setting up a dojo in your own home, you buy the equipment and you put it on the garage wall and you go and train. Yeah. But if you you're using the local school, then you're using the local you know sports center. Then you're using the local uh, church hall. That equipment's not there. You have to take it with you, mm. and it just adds to the complication of of setting up dojos and running dojos. Uh, very few people have their own professional dedicated dojos that I, I'm aware of. Mm. Most people train in an area which is not theirs. Yeah. Uh, so without the actual equipment to hit, you end up hitting each other Mm. and that, uh, that, (laughs) that doesn't last very long. (laughs) So that's why the equipment's designed is to stop you from hitting each other because it it can't happen that way. Mm. Uh, I mean, for instance, uh, uh, Sensei Jackson runs a summer course. So in that summer course, it's five, six or seven days, depending on what we do. uh, And there'll be an impact session every day. Hmm. So there may be three or four karate sessions, three or four meditation sessions, but there will always be an impact session every day on the course. Now, when you're dragging yourself up uh, after six days of training and you can hardly pick your arms and legs up and Sensei Matt is deciding he's going to teach... Toby Gary <laughs> and I'm stood there holding the pad it's like oh good <laughs> but there will there will always be hmm. and the, the the thing I like about the impact work that I've always done is it's always functional hmm. uh, Hito on a pad huh? uh, you reckon on a pad you do that on different you know there's a different surface for you to hit yeah. because it's a different target you're using so if you're doing gyakuzuki versus uh, uh, my Gary it's a diff- you use a different pad to hit hmm because it's functional, mm. whereas I've, you go in a boxing gym and there's a heavy bag you wail away at, or there's the, the mitts and that's it,
2: mm.
1: and you wail away on the mitts. But there's the nuances of the different techniques are actually important. Yeah. But again, you need multiple different sets of pads in order to do that. Mm. So it's it's a very equipment-based. Yeah. Uh, um, if you look at the, the Chinese, the Chinese Wing Chun dummy, mm. Uh, it's probably going to be my next purchase, actually. Oh, really? Stick in the for rehab. <laughs> uh, because it's it, you can use it for a movement yeah. pattern. You can use it for a reaction training. You can use it for impact training. You can use it for multiple different things. Mm. So one piece of kit can be used for different bits. Mm.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, again, maybe I'm in my bubble, but, like, what dojo isn't doing impact work? I mean, may- maybe I am just in a, in a naive bubble, but, yeah, without like we have pads in the like i'm in the fortunate position that i have got my own uh like dedicated dojo so and we have lots of pads and we do it kind of i I wouldn't say every class but probably the vast majority of classes that we have we will get the pads out at one point and maybe the you know the class is an hour long and maybe for a a five to ten minute period within that class we are hitting pads because otherwise What's the point? But at the same time, like, uh, you know, I, I think there's lots of people, there's lots of reasons, as we discussed before, lots of reasons why people do karate. Some people might just do it like we often, we often, uh, you know, justify the martial aspect of the of the, the Budo that we do. But very rarely do people want to or even justify the artistic element of the martial art we do. And some people might be martial artists and much more artists on the martial rather than martial. So like you know karate karate is a lot of things to a lot of different people. Um, and so if people choose not to do pad work and, and do it for the artistic nature of it, the fitness nature of it, the health nature of it, the community nature of it, a whole host of reasons why people do it. Uh, and I, I would never I would never look down at anybody just because they're not doing a certain aspect that I deem is important because who am I to say? Who is anybody to say what is important and what isn't important?
1: You know. I mean, I think there's 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 room for all yeah. different opinions on it. The the caveat I'd add is that one of the most fun impact training I ever did was with my Tai Chi.
2: Mm. All right.
1: Uh, we did. We had full boxing wraps and and uh, I think it was 14 ounce gloves, uh, and we did Tai Chi boxing. Okay. Uh, but it was done in a very formalized, structured, basic manner.
2: Mm.
1: So a partner work, but there'd be a drop into stance, they'd be folding the hip and they'd be standing up, breathing out, with an impact. Yeah. Uh, that impact, the, the other person would take that impact, it would force them then to give and relax into a, a different fold in the hip, which meant they would stand up and deliver their impact. So it was very structured. Mm. You're punching, I'm punching, I'm receiving, you're receiving, back and forward. So it wasn't martial in any way, shape or form. Yeah. But it was very useful for finding out if your uh, connection yeah. is true. Cool. So if you hit if you hit somebody yeah. and your arm collapses and, and they don't notice, <laughs> you know, you probably haven't got your alignment correct uh, <laughs> for a reason. Yeah. Uh, I found it useful because I've got a right arm and a left arm, which are different. Yep. So I broke my right arm and I broke my right elbow in a motorbike accident, oh, okay. and the orthopaedic surgeon put it back together, not quite right. So my right arm is is a, is a it's only a slight difference in the elbow. Yeah. yeah. But if people say straighten your arm, i like, it, it doesn't, and it's got a little rotation on it. So I I'm different. I'm very different, left to right. Okay. So I find feeling the correct position much more easier than just pushing it straight.
2: Yeah.
1: And say the impact there is a learning thing for me, not a Mm. a martial thing. It's an actual understanding of the body movement. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly would always advocate having impact work as part of your training. Um, I just, you know... Like, like some people who don't do it. I, I don't know anybody who doesn't do it, but if they don't do it and they've thought about it and they decide not to do it and they're just kind of doing a, a kind of a health version of karate, so be it. Kenkyo karate. Yeah. Karate for health. So, Okay, well, that brings us lastly on to fail of the week. Now, Ross and Rue have a, uh, a little uh, jingle that they do uh, that, where they, they shout fail of the week. So I will pause here for a 5 second period where they can maybe overlay their fail of the week. <laughs> Do you know something? What I think it's about that Jay. I feel it coming on, man. Yeah. I feel a f- 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 coming on over the week. Okay. So <laughs> what is have
1: you had a have you had a fail recently, Martin Sensei? Uh well, I uh yeah, I'll I'll give you, I'll give you a fail of concentration. Uh, one of Sensei Jackson's uh, training sessions before I actually managed to put myself out of the game. Okay, so,
0: uh, so putting yourself out of the game isn't the fail of the week. So this fail is a no, no. huge thing. <laughs>
1: uh, some, uh, kumite, some very complex, structured kumite, which required me to think about the sequence of events. Mm-hmm. Uh and I neglected to recognize that the person standing in front of me was a visitor from Japan who was moving a lot quicker than previous people I'd been partnered with. Okay. <laughs> Which meant that my, my, my neck movement backwards was, was working overtime for the first as I worked out what the sequence was. <laughs> so getting getting lost in the what we're supposed to be doing as opposed to be living in the moment of having somebody in front of you. Yeah. Focus on the person in front of you. It doesn't matter what you've been told to do.
0: Also, like Rick says, he's a bit of a pain, is he? He puts those disruptors into his sequences that, that just doesn't flow. Like, yep. Like that's just messing me up completely. He's like, yes, and,
1: yes. yeah. Oh, and when you have the partner here who is supposed to be punching with their left hand but actually punches with their right. Oh, really? And you, and you get hit. That, that's your fault because you're supposed <laughs> to just accept. Okay. Starts overcome.
0: Yeah. Well, my fail of the week is again not this week, but uh, two weeks ago, I was, I was, uh, I flew all the way over to San Diego to train with Steve Ubel Sensei, and I'd I'd been uh, I'd been teaching in uh, in the Midwest in Ohio and St. Louis, although I spent most of the day telling them that it should be pronounced St. Louis, but they wouldn't have it, and as a result, I think they poisoned me, <laughs> <laughs> and, and wherever I ate on the uh, on the Monday night. Uh, didn't quite sit well and then I I flew over to San Diego on the Tuesday to, expecting to train with Steve Sensei on the on the Tuesday night and then uh, and, and and my gracious host said um, here's your bedroom and uh, and I looked out my window and there's this beautiful swimming pool and palm trees and I'm like welcome to California baby and, uh, <laughs> and then I had to promptly say yeah, I don't think I'm going to go anywhere for the next 24 hours and I promptly spewed and other things, uh as my body got rid of everything. And so for the first twenty four hours of of wanting to train with the with the uh legend that is Steve Ubel, I spent in the toilet. So that was definitely a very long way to go to completely utterly fail. So yeah, that was my fail of the week. So yeah, I prefer my I prefer mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I, I, I still got to train with him. He put an extra session on the next day for me, just just to oh. make me feel better. So I did train with him twice
1: instead of. Well, which, which is which is exactly what I expect the gentleman that is achievable uh, to do. Yeah, of course.
0: So, okay. Well, thank you very much. We shall do it again, maybe uh, when we have time again. Yeah. Uh, and, Happy. Yeah, cool. And uh, and if anybody uh, wants to post their questions, I think we got quite a few. Quite uh, we got few. We got through quite a few of the questions so uh, if anybody else wants to ask questions they can maybe post it under in the comments below as they say on all the youtubers do um, and, and and we'll we'll get to them next time so until then yeah oh, thank you very much help. thank you thank, thank
2: you, you